Amen. 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 You may please be seated. Oh, I am I'm excited to be in church this morning and uh, have the privilege to bring you God's word. This morning I'm even more excited because I've seen a face in church that I go way back. He and I have been doing ministry since university days and uh, he's visiting us today. Amen. So um, we are continuing on our series, The Gathered People. So the broad series that is The Gathered People. Uh, we've done six parts so far, and I think uh, today I'll be doing the part seven. And uh, somebody would wonder why I'm taking my time to do the kind of teachings that I do. One of the things that um, I want you guys to know about me, your pastor, is that I am very, very heavy on doctrine. Um, and the reason why I become heavy on doctrine is because there's a lot of motivational preaching out there. Preaching to excite you, to make you happy. God will do it. Your best life now. Um, uh, your tomorrow will be better than your yesterday. All of those things are good. I'm not saying that God does not do them. But there, becomes, there comes a certain bankruptcy in Christianity. Where people, people are easily excited... And they don't know the God that they serve. They don't know the, the basics of, of the Christian message. They don't know the basics of Christianity. And if we, we do not take care, people can quote a scripture and don't understand what the Bible actually means when it uses that particular text. And that is why for the past few Sundays, I'm very, very heavy on doctrine. So I want you to, to follow me. And at the end of the day, it is because we want you to be sound, biblical Christians. The faith that we have, it has been handed over to us, and it should not die in our hands. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. So, like we said, um, uh, this morning I'm speaking on what I've titled The Gifted Gathering. The Gifted Gathering. The church, as we have said, belongs to Jesus Christ. And because the church belongs to Jesus Christ, he is the one who owns it, and he's the one who sustains it. And not only does the church belong to him, and the church is described as his body, the church is also described as his bride. And as a good husband, one of the things that Christ does is that he maintains and sustains the church. And how he does this is by giving the church certain gifts. He sustains his church, and he maintains the spiritual viability of his church, by giving the church certain gifts. The gifts that Christ gives to his church can be classified broadly into two main categories. The, the first category is what I would term the natural gifts. Natural gifts refer to your innate talents, your abilities, and the competences that you possess. For example, there are people gathered here this morning who are good singers. There are people who can sing. There are people that are good organizationally. There are people that know how to uh, put things together. Some people have a good IT background and are able to do all of those things. These things are natural competences. They are, they are skill sets that you have. Some of them are innate abilities that you have. For instance, um, we saw the praise and worship team come here and minister to us. The ability to sing is a natural ability that God has given some of us. Right? It is a, an innate competence. Some of us, if you, if you train us and you spend your time, you are wasting your time. To teach us how to sing, you are wasting your time and your effort. There are some too, they wake up in the morning and they can sing and they give you a very good feeling. These are innate competences that we, are, we have been given by God. And if you find yourself in the body of Christ as part of the body, the innate competences that you have are part of what God has given you to help in the church. Are we together? In Romans chapter 12, verse 6, Paul says, Having then gifts, differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. I want to focus on the first part of the text. Let us use them. So there are gifts that are given to you in the broad context. He's speaking about the gifts that are given to us because of the grace of God. But there, there is a principle that 
underlines the text here that if you have a gift in the body, then you have to use the gift. Are we together? So in the original context, like I said, he's speaking about the, um, the grace gifts, but then he underlines the fact that if you have an ability, something that God has given to you, you must use it. If you can play an instrument and you don't play it in church, you are not doing well. If you can, if you can sing and you don't sing in church, you are not doing well. If you have any ability and you are not finding a way to use that ability that you have, that skill that you have, the competence that you have to help advance and promote the work in the body of Christ, you are not doing well. Are we together? In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells the parable of, ta- of the talents. And the parable of the talents, in, in the context in which it is given, is uh, referring to the investment that God places in us as, as people in his body. And I like the way the scripture is put because when the master was going on the journey, the Bible says that he gave each one a talent according to their several abilities. So there was one who got five, there was one who got two, and another person got one. And they weren't all given the same thing. Because sometimes we think that if God is good, he would give us all the same thing. He gives us according to our several abilities. And in as much as we are not all given the same thing, we are all expected to do something with what we have been given. Right? So there are some people who may have five talents. Five talents, maybe you can sing, you can dance, you can, you, 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 you're a public speaker, you can usher, you, can, you are supposed to use it. You have two talents, you are supposed to use it. You have one talent, you are supposed to use it. God expects us to do something with what he has given to us. Question today is, what do you have and what are you doing with it? I want you to turn to your neighbor, ask them, what do you have? And what are you doing with it? Because there are some people who have taken what God has given them and they've buried it. And they are not doing anything with it. When Jesus, when Jesus told the parable, he says, when the master returned, the one who had one did nothing with it. And he thought he could be excused because he was given only one. And the master zeroed down on him and said, you are a wicked servant. You don't want Jesus to come back and look at you in his church, look at the investment that he has made in you, and his, his response to you is that you are a wicked servant. Hallelujah. But this, the, the, the natural abilities is not the basis of my message this morning. The, the, the real thing I want to talk about is the next broad category of gifts, which uh, are spiritual in nature. We call these the spiritual gifts. If you have your Bibles, come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, I'm reading from verse 1 to the verse 11. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles or pagans carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts by the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries by the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the discerning of spirits, to another different kind of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each other as he wills. Hallelujah. The the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians is a letter that is addressed to a church that looks like the 21st century church. And they they had all kinds of problems that Paul was trying to solve in the church. The letter is structured in a way that if you read it carefully, you can see where the problems are coming from. For instance, some of the problems that Paul was trying to solve, there was a report that was given to him 
because in the first chapter one, he says, it has been reported to me that there is infighting amongst you. So if you read chapters one to chapters four, Paul is trying to solve the problem of division in the church because there is sectarianism. Some people are saying, I am for Paul. Me, I am for Apollos. Others are saying, I'm for Peter. The, 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 the worst of all are saying that I am for Christ because they, they feel they are, they are more spiritual than everybody else. And Paul is, is trying to correct the problem of those divisions. He asks various questions, did Christ die for you, so on and so forth. Then if you move from chapter 5 to the end of chapter 6 and early chapter 7, Paul is addressing the question of immorality. Then in chapter 7, he pauses and addresses the issue of marriage, whether or not people should marry, because people were asking the questions whether it is good to marry or not. Right? And Paul says that because not, not everyone has the ability to keep themselves, each one should marry. And he even tells the married people, they that marry, 1 Corinthians 7, 28, they that marry shall face many troubles in this flesh. So it's not easy at any side. Uh, if, it, if you think uh, the problems will end when you get married, you are in for a ride. <laughs> Hallelujah. Then from chapter 8 to um, uh, chapter 10, he addresses the issue of food offered to idols. Then chapter 11, he addresses how we must approach the Lord's table in the communion. Then in chapter 12, you can tell that somebody has asked a question about spiritual gifts. So he says, now, concerning spiritual gifts, I would not have you ignorant. The reason why Paul says that he does not want them to be ignorant is, is because there are counterfeit gifts. There are counterfeits in the, in the whole spiritual manifestation of the gifts. One of the traps that we fall into, especially for us charismatics, is that we think that everything spiritual is God. Right? And Paul says that I would not have you ignorant. Because he says you were led, when you were pagans, or when you were Gentiles, like he said, he says you were led away by these dumb idols, however you were led. That means that the thing that he's coming to talk about, these people also have a reference point of some of these manifestations whilst they were unbelievers. Are we together? I remember there was a time I was, uh, I went downtown with my wife and we were coming back and there was this man that stopped us back close to the train station. Usually my wife is like, let's go, let's go. And me I'm like, let's listen, let's listen. So I was listening to this guy, this guy, this guy was giving me prophecies and predictions and all of those things. I was just listening quietly and he's like, he opened a, book, a certain book and he's like, no, we have to put, I have to put, how much do I have on me? I have to put some. I said, this is where you missed me. And he's like, no, 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 it's not good. And I was like, why is it not good? He says, oh, the, the, the spirits. And I said, no, me, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. These things that you are doing, they don't scare me. Right? See, but you see, the, 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 the thing is that some people are easily led astray by these things. Somebody sees you and they're able to tell you what you had for breakfast or where, where, where you parked your car last night, or something that happened in your life yesterday. The fact that they are able to accurately predict it does not mean it is God. See, accuracy of prediction does not mean it's God. Right? When Paul and, and his ministry team went to Philippi, there was a lady who was operating by the spirit of divination, following them. These men are the men of God who have come to bring us the word of salvation. Look at accurate prophecy. Accurate. Even if I was... I'm sure that if I was poor then, I would say, see, listen to her. This is validation of the ministry. You see, we have, not, we have not come to show you a fake gospel. But Paul immediately turned and rebuked the, the spirits from this lady. The reason why, it's interesting, because when I, I was looking at the, the flow of the text that Paul gives us, Paul has not spent too much time harping or hammering down on the, the how to spot a fake Right? And, and that's one of the things that's interesting. The Bible usually does not spend too much time on how to spot a fake. It spends time rather teaching you the genuine. Because when you go to the Federal Reserve and they are training uh, people on becoming experts in the currency and how to spot a fake, they actually do not spend time teaching them about the fake. They spend months with them teaching them all the features of the genuine currency. And because they are so used to the genuine currency, in their sleep, the moment they touch something that is fake, they can tell it. Right? And that is how we are supposed to be. We are supposed to spend so much time with God, so much time in His presence, so much time in His Word, so much time with Him, 
that when the fake comes, you don't need too much to tell that this is a fake. Are we together? But Paul gives us two basic guiding principles in, in aligning whether or not the, the emphasis of this spirit is of God or not. He says, no one speaking by the Holy Spirit can call Jesus accursed. This is the negative part of the uh, approach. Then he says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. This is the positive part, right? If you read the, the flow of the chain of Paul, the thought process, it is likely that there has been somebody who has manifested in the church. And whilst they were manifesting a supposed gift of the Spirit, they cursed the Lord Jesus. Or they said something derogatory concerning Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying that when you encounter something like this, it is not of God. But the, the, the basic principle, if you put these two thoughts together, is this. That in the manifestation of any gift in the church, number one, it must not bring disrepute. And, 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 and disregard to the name and the glory of God. And also, if it is of God, the end result of the manifestation of that gift is that it brings glory to God, not to a man, not to the individual. Because the reason why God gives the gifts, as we will look at, is that he, it is given for the profit of all. And the profit of the church is that we would come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we can glorify the name of the Lord. Are we together? If you have a good Bible translation, if you read the 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. The word gifts is italized. The reason why it's italized, I told you uh, three Sundays ago that when you buy Bibles, read the preface of your Bible. Right? Because it explains why some words are italized and some are not. The reason why it is italized is because the word gifts in the original Greek text, the word gifts does not appear in this sentence. When the translation committees were sitting down to translate the, the text from Greek to English, so that the language of the text does not sound wooden and difficult, they insert the word gifts. Because in their understanding, the, chap the flow of the chapter focuses more on the gifts. So they insert the word gifts there. I understand why they insert it, but I actually believe that it should read, now concerning matters of the spirit, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. The reason why I think it should read that way is that from 1 Corinthians 12 all the way to 1 Corinthians 15 where he focuses on the resurrection all these chapters focuses on matters of the spirit so it wasn't actually a flow of thought that starts in 12 and ends at 12 because even 1 Corinthians 13 which we usually read at weddings and talking about love the emphasis that Paul was trying to make there was Paul was not even focusing on your love relationships he was talking about love as the supreme ethic undergirding your use of the spiritual gifts. Right? So, to be very spiritual, you must actually be a loving person. And that is why I believe it should be now concerning matters of the spirit. Are we together? In, and, and he says something interesting in the 4 to 6. He says, now... There are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God that works all in all. The interesting thing here is that even in the spiritual sustenance of the church, there is a Trinitarian emphasis. That in, in the giving of gifts, all the, the Godhead, you know, I've been trying to drum it down. Recently, one of the biggest topics, hot topics in Christianity is the, the, the Trinity. It's a mystery. We serve a God who is one, but tripersonal. That means there are three persons in the Godhead. He is not one person who splits himself or decides to show up as father one time, then you go back, decide to show up as son one time. That is an, a heresy called modalism. 
and it was considered a heresy by the early church fathers by AD 300. This heresy was done and dealt with. So don't think you have a new revelation in this period when you are teaching modalism. That is why the, the, the example of the Trinity as ice and ice, water, vapor is, is, is a heresy. The reason why it's difficult to understand the Trinity is, is that it is something that is in a different realm. So to use things in this realm to try to explain it will usually get you in problems. Are you together? Let me try to explain. I am a man. Humans are unipersonal. That means we have one being, one person. Right? I'm a human being. What am I? I'm a human being. Who am I? I'm Bethmond. Right? The what and the who. What is God? God is a spirit. Who is God? His Father, Son, Spirit. He is one what and three who's. Your mind is struggling to understand it and it is okay. You can't always break everything down into bite-sized chunks and level it up to try to understand the mystery of the Trinity. God is three in one and it's okay to wrestle with it. We will wrestle with these thoughts till we finally meet him. Then when we see him, we will understand. Are we together? But what Paul is saying is that even in the spiritual sustenance of the church, there is a, a Trinitarian emphasis that there are gifts that the Spirit gives to sustain the church. He calls those the charismata. I'll, I'll explain later. Then there, is, there are gifts that the Son he says there are diversities of ministries by the same Lord. Those ministries are actually also gifts that the Son gives to his church. And there are gifts that the Father also gives to the church. He calls those things the activities. The interesting thing is that the, the gifts of the Son and the Spirit are usually mediated through men. So the Spirit's, the spirit's gifts are manifested through men. The, the gifts of the Son are usually gifts of men that the, fa- the son gives to the church. But when it comes to the, the gifting and the workings of the father, he uses the word energema, which is sometimes translated workings or activities. Most often, and throughout the scripture, whenever the father is giving gifts to his church, he doesn't mediate it through men. He just works. Right? So it's like, a, it's like how, let's say, in a meeting, there are times where somebody who operates with the gift of healings lay hands on you and you are healed. Or somebody is praying and immediate, and because of his prayer, you are healed. But there are times where the Father will just act. No one, no one has, has done anything. No one has, the Father wants to give a gift to his church to encourage his people. And he just acts. Those are the activities, the operations of the Father. The gift of the Son which we, we tend to call the ministry gifts, we can see them in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, 7 to 13. He says, in the verse 7, he says, but to each one of us was given according to, was gi- to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Who is the giver of the gift here? Christ. This is not the Holy Spirit, it's Christ. Christ is the one giving the gift. Therefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, this he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He also descended is also the he who also descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all, all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The gift that the Son gives is this. There are people that Christ calls them. He equips them and he gives them as a gift to his church. That's why we call them the, the, the ministry gifts because they as a gift are given for the service of the body. So as your pastor, I am a gift that God has given to this church. Are we together? That Jesus Christ has taken, equipped, and gives to the church. People who operate in this, this particular kind of gift, you don't just call yourself there. It comes with a calling. The son must first call you. 
And if you are in this church and you begin to sense that there is a call for ministry on your life, come and see me. Because part of it is that you must be prepared for the work. You don't just get up and say, I sense that there is a calling. The New Testament approach is that if you belong to a body and you sense a calling, you must submit to the eldership of the body that you belong to, the local body that you belong to. They must train you, equip you, validate the ministry of your life and then launch you out into ministry. That's what happened in Acts chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas, they were part of a body. God had begun to call them. But God spoke to the gathering, the elders and the leaders, and they said, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work wherein I have called them. So they knew of the calling, but God validated the calling through the leaders and the eldership, and they laid hands on them and set them off for the work of the ministry. Are we together? These are the gifts that the son gives to the church. So if somebody is an apostle, you send the, the grace of apostleship, it is God is lifting you up, preparing you as a gift that he gives to the body. He gives to his church. Hallelujah. But again, that is not my emphasis. My emphasis today is the gifts that the spirit gives. There are three words that Paul uses to describe the gifts that the spirit gives. First of all, what is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift in juxtaposition to a natural gift is a supernatural ability given by God to the believer through the enabling power of the Holy Spirit for the edification and sustenance of his church. So unlike a natural gift, which is an innate ability that you are born with, no one is born with a spiritual gift. Are you together? You can't say you were born with a spiritual gift. You don't own it. It is the Spirit's ability manifesting through you. And it has a purpose for the edification and the sustenance of his church. Three words that Paul uses to describe the spiritual gifts. The first word in the Greek is the word pneumaticos. It is in the English rendered spiritual. This means that whatever the gifts of the Spirit are, they are not natural abilities. You can't say that in, in my family, this is our spiritual gift. It is not hereditary. You don't inherit a spiritual gift from your father. There is a tendency that sometimes there might be a particular gift that manifests maybe in a certain family, but that gift is not transferred by hereditary. Are we together? It is not genetics. The second word that Paul uses in describing the gifts is the word charisma and it is translated in the english as gifts charismata gifts or grace gifts the root word for charisma is what we usually translate in our bibles as grace so if the gifts of the spirit are charismata they are grace gifts and grace is something that we don't work for that means when it comes to the gift of the spirit it's not something that we work for for instance, there are some that think that if I fast and I pray and I, there's a place for that. But at the end of the day, it is not your fasting and your prayer that lets you acquire the gift. I'll, I'll, I'll explain going further. But these are not things that we work for. And the third word that he uses is the word phanerosis. Phanerosis says, but now the manifestation of the spirit is given for the prophet of all. Speaking about the same gifts, the word manifestation in the Hebrew, in the Greek, is the word phanerosis. And when we say something is a manifestation or a phanerosis, it means that it appears, it manifests itself, and it leaves again. Right? There, there are two Greek words that are usually translated manifestation. One is epiphanes. Right? And an epiphanes is something that manifests and remains. So when Christ was manifested in the flesh, it wasn't a phanerosis. It was a, a, an epiphanes. Because the Son of God, who was, who was eternal with the Father, was made manifest in the flesh. And we all saw him. And to date, Christ remains in his body. Are we together? That's an epiphanes. But the gift of the Spirit is a phanerosis. It's a manifestation. 
it appears in one moment, we see the effect, and we don't see it again until we see another effect of it. Are we together? So in 1 Corinthians 12, which we just read, Paul speaks about nine gifts. These are not an exhaustive list. Because if you go to Romans chapter 12, there, there is actually some other gifts that he mentions. The gift of mercy, the gift of administration. He considers those things some, as spiritual gifts. Even when you read towards the uh, tail end of 1 Corinthians 12, verse 20, 21, you realize that Paul mixes and mashes the gifts of the Son and the gifts of the Spirit. Because as point says, are all apostles, are all uh, teachers, are all even. He, he mixes and mashes them because all of them fall under the broad category of spiritual gifts. But there are, they are mediated to the different persons of the Trinity. Are we together? I hope I'm not being too technical today. So the first gift that Paul talks about is the word of wisdom. Right? In the... In the the actual rendering is the utterance, an utterance of wisdom. But it's hard to sometimes explain. It's a, it's a word of wisdom. The, the, this gift is an impartation of wisdom by the Spirit in a moment or given to solve difficult situations and complex issues. Right? In the scripture, we see this gift manifests in some, some people in the Old Testament. For instance, we see this gift manifest in Joseph and Daniel. There are people who associate this gift with the interpretation of dreams and visions. I understand why it is so, but that is not the only association of this gift. It has more to do with solving complex issues. Where, no, where human understanding and human reasoning cannot solve it. And the Holy Spirit just drops in your mind wisdom to be able to solve the matter. Because in, in the Bible, when the, when the scriptures speak about wisdom, it's talking about your ability to bring solutions. So when God gives you a word of wisdom, that is usually the context. It is, there is a difficult problem. As a church, maybe we are, we are, we are, faced in, we are in a tight corner facing some issues, we don't know how to go about it, then all of a sudden it's like God drops something in your mind and you, you know what to do. We ask you where did it come from? Yourself, you know you don't know where it came from. Right? For instance, in Daniel chapter 1 verse 17, the Bible says, and as for these young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom and Daniel had understanding in visions and dreams. Daniel chapter 2 verse 23, he says, I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have made me to know what was asked of you, for you have made us know the king's demand. King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he went to the magicians and the astrologers, and he said that, you tell me the dream that I had, and also tell me the interpretation of the dream. That's a difficult situation. A difficult task. And all of a sudden, God dropped both the dream and the interpretation of it in, that, in Daniel's mind and was able to solve that complex issue. That is what the, the gift of the word of wisdom does. Are we together? The next one that he speaks about, the next gift is what is called the word of knowledge. The word of knowledge is when God also drops in you something that you do not know by ordinary means. For instance, we see this gift at work in our Lord Jesus Christ when he's sitting at the, the well in John chapter 4. And the Samaritan woman approaches Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ tells her that you, are, you have had five husbands, even the one that you are with, you are not married to right now. Under normal circumstances, even the woman knew that Jesus Christ could not have known this. Are we together? And that is, that is what the the word of knowledge looks like. When God gives you knowledge into something that under normal circumstances you shouldn't know. Are you together? I want to go through these things. Yeah. The, the next gift that he speaks about is the gift of faith. The gift of faith is different from the faith that we, we, we have for salvation. Right? The gift of faith may be defined 
as the special gift whereby the Spirit provides Christians with extraordinary confidence in God's promises, God's power, and God's presence so that they can take heroic stands for God's for the future of God's work in the church. So it is an extraordinary confidence in God's power, God's presence, and God's ability to work, even though everything looks impossible. A number of years ago, a couple of friends and I went to went on an evangelism mission trip. We went to a village. And after we had gone out to evangelize and we came home, one of our core members fell very ill. And we thought it was something that would subside but the thing just kept getting worse and worse and worse and we called a prayer meeting because we we felt like no this thing this thing we just realized that it was no no longer just like a headache or something it was actually a spiritual attack and the guy's condition condition just kept deteriorating and whilst we were praying there were (laughs) there were three ladies in our midst two of the ladies had a crush on this guy so the, the prayer that we were praying, some people had vested interest in the prayer that we were praying. So whilst we were praying, one lady started wailing and crying and wailing and crying. And see, the way she was wailing and crying, it demoralized everybody's prayer. Because like, hey, hey. And in, in that moment, I don't know what came over me to date. I've not felt that thing before. Something just came over me in the moment and I asked everybody to leave the room, save one friend of mine calling scriptures. He's also a pastor. So I asked him to stay in the room. And I asked, what does the Bible say? Is anyone sick amongst you? Let them call the elders of the church. In this meeting, we are the elders of the church. It says, let them pray for the sick, anointing him with oil and he shall be saved. Do we have anointing oil? They said they don't have anointing oil. Do we have cooking oil? They should bring it. We, we poured it in a bowl, put our hand in the oil, and I started praying for him. From the time I laid my hands to his head, all the way to his feet, I could literally feel his temperature dropping in my hand. And he just got up and went to eat. It was the gift of faith. That I don't know where it came from, but in that moment, I just believed that God would heal him. I just believed that God was around to work. And for some of you, God will give you a gift of faith because you need that faith to unlock something happening in your life. Hallelujah. The next gift that Paul talks about is the gift of healing. This is quite self-explanatory. It is the, the, the ability that the Spirit gives to somebody to just pray for the sick and heal them of their diseases. It comes in various ways. The, the Bible says even with Paul, Paul, Paul worked in this gift. That they would take handkerchiefs and aprons from him. And even the handkerchiefs and the aprons would go and touch people afar off and they would be healed. That is what the gift of healing looks like. The working of miracles. The working of miracles is working of supernatural acts. Like the Jesus multiplying bread. Um, even the ca- casting out of demons is a, is a miracle. It's a working of miracles. So when you see somebody in a meeting pray and they are casting out demons it's it's actually a miracle that is taking place in that moment hallelujah then there is the gift of prophecy the gift of prophecy prophecy by simple definition is the ability to speak god's mind concerning a matter it has usually two components there's the component where you can foretell tell of things to happen right so Maybe this and this and this is going to happen in the future. This is what you should do to prepare for it. That is you foretelling the future. Then there is also the fourth telling. The fourth telling is you are speaking God's mind in the now. That in somebody's life, there are certain things that are happening and you are speaking God's mind concerning the matter. That is prophecy. Are we together? Sometimes we get so consumed by the foretelling we forget the forth-telling aspect of prophecy. I actually believe, and it is my strong conviction, that whenever a, a man of God stands before you to preach, there is an element of prophecy in the preaching because he's bringing you God's mind in the now. Are we together? Then there is also the, the discerning of spirits. The discerning of spirits is, is the ability that the spirit gives a believer so that he can tell the spirit that is operating in a certain place or in a certain activity. 
For instance, like uh, I told you earlier at the beginning of the message, what happened to Paul and his team when they went to Philippi. A number of years ago, on another mission trip that I went to with a couple of friends, we, we got to the mission grounds and we were praying. And at the beginning of the prayer, I, I went with a couple of, we went on a mission with another church, right? But I picked a couple of people from our denomination to follow me because they hadn't gone to, for a mission trip like that before. So I would go and experience it. And when we went into the meeting and were praying, the moment we began praying, there was a young lady who burst out into prophecy, just speaking all kinds of things. And the Holy Spirit just told me in the moment that I should leave the prayer meeting. This is not of me. And you know, some of these things are, are weird to explain to people because like, how do you tell somebody that these nice words that are coming out of this lady's mouth, because it was nice words concerning the work that we are about to do. But the Holy Spirit just told me to go and sit down. This is not of him. It's a familiar spirit. So I called my people and I prayed over them. And we just went to sit down. We let the prayer meeting finish. And they asked me why I did what I did. And I explained to them that this is what the Holy Spirit was telling me. The interesting thing is that after we finished that prayer meeting, they were about to divide us into teams and roommates so that we, we go and sleep in the various places that they had assigned for us. We were sleeping in a... A it was a converted cocoa shed that we were using for accommodation. It's the work of God. It's not easy. And whilst, whilst they were going to put them in rooms, they called two of the ladies that I had come with, and they called this lady that I sensed that she was operating with a familiar spirit. And they were going to pair them and put them in the same room. And I said, this won't happen. So I called the two ladies again, and I prayed over them. And I just let them go. And now, when they were pairing them with this lady, the lady said she will not enter the room with them. The lady said she will not go into the room with them. They tried whatever. Said she will not enter the room with them. We woke up the next morning, and this lady was no longer in our mission camp. We are divided there. We were in the eastern Ashanti region. And uh, we are divided it into three villages, three camps. So we searched our camp. We couldn't find this lady. We went to the next camp. We couldn't find the lady. We went to the previous camp where we left some people. We couldn't find it. The lady had disappeared. And this was somebody who was in our midst prophesying. That's why I told you, not everything that looks spiritual is of God. Right? And the weird part is that the village that we were in, if the, there is a bus that starts from the last village and it passes our village at 4 a.m. So when did this lady disappear? The lady was nowhere to be found. This is one of the gifts that I think is very important and most believers should desire. Your ability to discern. Because sometimes you, you, you think, I, I, was, I was having a conversation with my wife earlier this, this week. And I was like, we, we have need of discernment because we have a very bad understanding of things. Because most Christians associate sickness, disease, calamity with the devil, blessing, prosperity, money with God. But you see, if you understand the devil, you would understand that the devil's work in your life is not, he doesn't care whether you are rich or poor. That is not why the devil works in your life. The devil's work in your life is to make sure that you don't get access to God. So if it is sickness, disease, poverty, calamity, that he will use to separate you from God, that is where he will attack you. If it is fame, riches, blessing, prosperity, that will get you away from God, that is what he will give you. And you need discernment to be able to tell that this thing that is coming to me, is it taking me to God or away from God? Because sometimes there are things that you call opportunity, open doors. The moment you walk through them, you are finished. And that's why we need discernment. The next gift he talks about is the speaking in diverse kinds of tongues. This speaking in tongues, there are a lot of things that go into it. Because there is the, the tongue that is the prayer language. And there is a speaking in diverse kinds of tongues where the spirit gives you an ability to speak in a language on land. Or sometimes it is even a language that is, that is not known to anybody. 
if it is a language that is not known to anybody, what the Spirit does is that he either gives you the, the ability to interpret or he gives another person in the meeting an ability to interpret. Are we together? And, and Paul says that if you speak in tongues and there's no one to interpret, what you do is that now you direct your tongues to God. Speak in silence. Right? These two go usually go hand in hand. And whenever you, you tend to have the gift of speaking in diverse tongues and the interpretation of tongues hand in hand, they usually end up like the gift of prophecy. Are we together? How do I receive a gift from the Spirit? If the church is a gifted gathering and the Spirit is giving us these gifts, how do I receive a gift? Paul tells us, he says, desire it. That's why usually when we are teaching on a gift, we spend time to describe the gift so that you know what it entails. And Paul says the first thing that you should do is that you should desire it. In 1 Corinthians 12 verse 31, he says, But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Earnestly desire the best gifts. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1, he says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts but especially that you may prophesy. The reason why Paul calls some gifts the best gifts and he says some people should desire to prophesy is because for Paul, some of the gifts have a, 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 a broader emphasis on the, on the well-being of the body. So any gift that has an emphasis on the well-being of the body in general, Paul calls it the best gift. If you think about it, it means that for Paul, even the emphasis of the gift is not you. So some people want a gift so that they will look good. They will look spiritual. They will look wild in the sight of people. And if that is why you want the gift, then you are, mis- you are mistaken. You are not the emphasis of the gift. Number two is channel that desire of yours into prayer. So it's not just I desire, I desire, but channel that desire into prayer. Like I've said time and time again in this church, for us believers, we don't manifest things into being. Don't fall for the trap on social media. I am manifesting this. I am, I am manifesting this. I'm speaking it into the universe. We don't speak to the universe. We speak to God. Yes. Are we together? And as a believer, the legitimate avenue for the expression of all your desires is the place of prayer. That is where you go and express your desires to God. Even if you are angry, go and pray. Go and tell God your frustration. At least you are praying. Are we together? If you read the book of Psalms, you realize that times that the psalmists are frustrated. If you read the book of Job, at the end of Job, God comes to a very interesting conclusion. He says, Job has done the right thing and his friends did the wrong thing. But in the book of Job, do you notice that Job was complaining to God bitterly at some point? And, and you would think that he was, he, was, he was calling God unfair. But the reason why God said that Job had done the right thing, that even in the midst of his bitterness, in the midst of his complaint, it was still directed to God. He was always connected to God. If you desire spiritual gifts, if you desire a gift, go to God in prayer. Hallelujah. I remember when I sensed the call of God on my life as a teacher of God's word. I understood that as a teacher of God's word, there are two primary things that I need. A spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. These are the two things that I needed primarily as a teacher of God's word. And for about three years, this was my prayer topic. When I wake up in the morning to pray, Ephesians 1.17 was my scripture. Lord, give to me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you that the eyes of my understanding will be enlightened that the eyes of my understanding will be enlightened some of us we say we desire something but you see the proof of desire is in the pursuit if you are a girl and a guy says that he likes you he doesn't text you he doesn't call you to check up on you he doesn't visit you there is no pursuit then there is actually no desire your proof of desire is in your pursuit. The third thing that we must do in all of this is that we must trust God's sovereignty. Not only are you to pray, pursue, 
but you must trust God's sovereignty. What do I mean by this? The Bible says that the Spirit gives to each man as he wills. So you can even desire something and God will give you something else. Trust God's sovereignty. Are we together? He is the giver of the gift. He is the owner of the body. He is the sustainer of the body. So when he gives a gift, he gives it to, for what will sustain the body. Are we together? Three cautions when it comes to gifts. The spiritual gifts then I'll, I'll end my message number one your gift does not make you superior to other believers there are some gifts by virtue of their operation make you more prominent than another person right even your natural gift there are some natural gifts and natural abilities that tend to make you more prominent for instance even if your natural ability is singing usually the singers are on stage and maybe your natural ability is organization and putting the stuff together. By the time we get here, the stuff are already put together. The asher, so if you're an asher, your job may not make you that prominent. But it does not mean that because the singer is on stage, he is superior to the asher. If your gift is prophecy and you prophesy and people are blessed by your prophecy, it does not make your, your gift of prophecy greater than one who exercises the gift of faith. Are we together? Your gift does not make you superior. That's why Paul warns the church. If you get time, read the full chapter. He says that, can the eye say to the leg that I do not need you again because I'm an eye? If all of us were prophesying, who would teach us the word? If all of us were teaching, who will encourage us? Are we together? Every gift is needed. So you do not think that because you operate in a gift that is more prominent, you are more superior. At the end of the day, we are all children of God. God does not have, the only one who has a specified position is Jesus Christ, firstborn from the dead. All of us, the rest of us are children. Are we together? Number two, the gifts are meant for the edification of the church. The gifts are not meant to make you popular. The gifts are not meant to make you uh, more prominent. It is for the edification of the church. It is not for you to, to enlarge yourself. That is why sometimes some things that people do when they are, like, for instance, you, you see somebody prophesying and when, after they finish prophesying, have I met you before? Have we spoken before? All of those things are sometimes unnecessary because in that moment, it shifts the focus to you, the individual. If it is prophecy and you are prophesying, we all know that you are prophesying. Whether you've met the person before, don't shift the focus. The focus is the edification of the body. That the church in that moment has seen God's power and they are focusing on giving God the glory. Don't shift it. Number three. This is the, 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 your ability to express a gift or the Holy Spirit expressing a gift through you is not an indication of a healthy relationship with God. It is not an indication of a healthy relationship with God. Because you see, with God, his main concern is his body. So sometimes you can be living in sin, but there is somebody who needs healing today. And if the Holy Spirit manifests through you to bring healing to that individual, don't take it as you, you are still right with God. Because there are some people, when they prophesy and they do all of these things, yeah, God is still with me. That's what happened to Samson. You see, the, 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 the way God works with his gifts is that sometimes, and that's one of the things that even scares me as a minister. Because, because of your needs, because of your desires, because of the, the pressure you are putting on God, God will still use us because of your needs. But it doesn't mean that I am right with God. That's why Jesus said that when people come to Jesus, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We did this and that in your name. He does not deny that you did it in his name. But he says, for me, I don't know you. It's one of the things we need to watch out for. So in as much as you are desiring the gifts of the Spirit and you want to operate in those gifts, you must still work out the fruits of the Spirit in your life. 
the last thing I would add is that your ability to function in a gift does not necessarily mean that you have been called to an office. For instance, you may have in the, in the functioning of a prophet, one who is called to the office of a prophet, in the, in the gift of the son, who's called to the office of a prophet, he, he works with the operation of the, the word of knowledge, he works with the operation of the word of wisdom, and he works with the operation of um, the, the gift of prophecy. The difference is that he has access the, the difference between the office and the gift is access and uh, frequency. Right? So one who is called to the office of a prophet, the Bible says that the spirit of a prophet is subject to the prophet. He can wake up in the morning and, and he's in his office. He's prophesying. Uh, are we together? The fact that you operated in a gift does not mean you've been called to the office. Because sometimes, you see, the truth of the matter is that sometimes the, the beginning of the expression of a gift is an indication that God is calling you to an office. That is why I said that if you sense the call of God in your life, one of the things that you must report to the eldership of the church because by, by reason of use and experience, they know things that you might not necessarily know and they can guide you in the process. For instance, I've been in places where um, because of, of the need for it, in meetings, I've prophesied. I've prayed for people, they have been healed. But it does not make me a healer. Or it does not make me one who is an evangelist. Or, but because there is a gap that God needs to fill that gap in a moment, he, he extends grace and uses me in that position. But aside that, I know for, for sure that my calling is that of a teacher. That's it's It's... It's, it's something that everybody knows. Right now, you people know. But the ability to express that gift does not necessarily mean you've been called into an office. So we must, not, we must begin to distinguish between function and office. You can function in a, in a gift, but you've not been called to an office. Are you together? The, like I said, those who operate in the office, they are, the, 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 the primary requirement is that Christ must call you. You don't go into it. Right. You can even when it comes to the gift that Christ, you can desire to be an apostle. If Christ does not call you as an apostle, you still don't qualify. Your desire will not qualify you. For that one, it is a call. Are we together? Maybe uh, at one of our church workers' meetings, I'll spend time to go deeper into the callings and the giftings. And but in the near future, I'll teach you how to identify your gifts and your callings. But the, the direction of your gifts can sometimes point you in those places. The thing is that we must find out whether that expression of that gift, was it by reason of a vacuum or a demand? Or is actually the gift that is moving you in the direction of your call? Hallelujah. So like I said, as a church, we are a gifted gathering. All of us have been given something, natural or spiritual, and we are supposed to use it for the edification of the body. Amen. I want us to rise to our feet quickly and we want to pray. You've seen the gifts when you go read about them, but I want us to just pray. We are praying for our church. One of the things that Paul says at the beginning of the book of 1 Corinthians is that he says that you come behind in no gifts. That means for the church, every gift that they needed for their spiritual sustenance, God had made available for them. And I want us to pray for this church. We are praying for Rehobo Temple, that we will come behind the no gifts. That every gift that we need, every gift that is needed for the, for the spiritual sustenance of the body, that God will raise that gift in this place. If it is the gifts of healing, may God raise the gift of healing. If it, if it is the gift of mercy, it is, if it is that of administration, if it is that of prophecy, if it is that of discernment, May God raise up people. May God lift up and manifest those gifts in our church, in our auditorium, in our midst. May God manifest that in our midst, in this body, in the name of Jesus. Ye belebedi prazo tali krasala bayandaha Levedi valoska pali abrada bayadabaha Labada brada badabandaba 
Hallelujah. Amen. May I please be seated. About to come to the Lord's table.